Today, we are talking about breast cancer. Overall, the five-year relative survival rate for breast cancer is about 90%. Advances in diagnosing and treating cancer have led to steadily improving survival rates. Compared to 25 years ago, survival statistics have improved over 40%. There are the obvious side effects of the disease, but also the ones that are invisible to others. Cancer of any kind not only affects the patient, but families and caregivers as well. Here is Amy's story and her journey to becoming cancer-free. Health, wellness, career, family, life, and the better side of 50. I'm your host, Michelle Follin, and this is Asking for a Friend. Welcome to Asking for a Friend. Our guest today is Amy Woolenweber. I have called her a breast cancer survivor, but I'm changing that today. I am now calling her a breast cancer warrior. After watching her journey and several others, I think this is a way more fitting description of what these women endure and how they come out on the other end. So welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you, Michelle. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. Well, Amy and I go way back. We've worked together and we have remained great friends over the years. Having you do this episode was a no-brainer. Amy and I met for coffee. It was on a Saturday, maybe a month ago. And had I had a microphone there, I probably just should have recorded that conversation because it was show worthy. But I'd like you to first just start out by telling our listeners just a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah. Let's see. I'm 49 years old, living in Cincinnati with my husband and three kids. I have a daughter who's 16, a son who's 15, and another son who's 12. We live in the Anderson area, and I'm a working mom. I recently went back to work. I work for a great company downtown and just living my life. Wonderful. That's busy mom. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You've basically got right back at it. And that's something I've really admired about you is that you just wasted no time just getting back to your life. I do want to start off with talking about the initial diagnosis. My story here is that we had just seen each other maybe two weeks before and you sent us all a text, our friend group that was all out that evening. And what a gut punch. So I'm going to quit talking. I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this. It's a testament to how quickly your life can change, right? And I know you found out about it two weeks after we met because we were trying to figure out another time to get back together. So we were texting. The reality was, is we met on a Friday night, or maybe it was a Thursday, but I think it was a Friday for a happy hour at your house. And that following Sunday morning was when I discovered two lumps. It was by accident. I was not in the habit of doing self-breast exams. 
I was putting on my sports bra that morning. I was getting ready to go on a walk and my arm brushed across my chest and it felt like there was a rock in my bra, basically. So I started pushing and prodding and poking around in my bra and realized that that's just nothing in my bra. It's actually in my breast. I discovered two size of a marble, I would say, bumps in my chest and I was pushing on them and they were hard and immediately I was alarmed because I just knew those weren't there before. I was in the habit of going to get my mammograms regularly. By the way, this was August of 2020 when this happened. Right in the middle of the pandemic, right after I had lost my job, all of that, there was a lot going on and I was thinking, what? There's no way, right? And when had you had your last mammogram? In December of 2019. What is that? Eight months? Mm -hmm. It was a 3D mammogram. I was actually being monitored. I had dense breast tissue. I was being monitored going every six months, getting 3D mammograms done at Christ. They had just given me the A-OK, you're fine to go back to once a year visits in December. Fast forward to August and I discovered these two lumps. As you can imagine, I was alarmed and I called my doctor the next day and I said, I need to go in for another diagnostic mammogram. I found two lumps. They got me in right away. I go in for the 3D mammogram and they weren't showing up on the screen. And I was looking at the tech, like, what's going on here? You can see these and feel them. And she said, yeah, they're not showing up because you have dense breast tissue. And I said, well, that's weird. You know, they tell you this when you have dense breast tissue. I guess I still felt this false sense of security with getting my mammograms. Right. And I didn't have a history or anything like that. I had to pretty much talk her into doing the ultrasound right there in the office, which she did. And she confirmed they were hard tumors. Now they tried to reassure me at that time that 80% of all tumors are benign. That's not a reason to be alarmed. We moved forward with scheduling the biopsy at that time, which was later that week. I mean, at that point, I really just didn't know. I mean, I was concerned because I knew they weren't there before. It took some time. And that's the crazy part about this. Like your life can change so quickly and then you have to wait. Right. I had to wait about two weeks before I got that diagnosis, which is when you found out pretty much after I found out because we were talking about getting back together. Right. So the biopsy itself, that was eye-opening because the doctor, I could tell by her reaction that she didn't think it was good. And she wanted me to go ahead and schedule an appointment with the breast surgeon to talk about surgery already. She's like, it just doesn't look good. I'm telling you to go ahead and schedule it before we even get the results back. So I did. I mean, at that point, I was just kind of in shock right? I mean, you're just kind of putting one foot in front of the other and you're just doing what they tell you to do. And you're like, is this really happening? This is so bizarre. So met with the surgeon. And by that point, we knew it was cancer, but we didn't know what type of cancer. And that was the whole learning curve for me as well, that I just kind of dove in and got to learn everything and more about breast cancer than I ever wanted to know. It took about two weeks to really even know, first of all, what type of breast cancer that I had meaning hormone positive or hormone negative. So mine ended up being estrogen and progesterone positive. Okay. And HER2 negative. There are seven or more types of breast cancer out there, which I didn't know. So they have to know what kind you have to be able to formulate a treatment plan on moving forward. And that takes time. The first thing I found out was what type I had. Then I had to go through genetic testing to see if I had the breast cancer gene. 
So if you had the breast cancer gene, how would that change your treatment options? Does that have anything to do with what you would opt for in terms of your surgery too? It could. For me, I knew I was going ahead with the mastectomy regardless of whether or not I had the gene because of where the tumors were. And I did have to get an MRI after that as well, which was further down in the process. But the MRI actually detected two more masses that were closer to my chest wall, which never even showed up. So I had four total masses. They were all small. So that's another thing they look at is the size of the tumors. But because of where they were, we knew for sure that I was at least going to have one mastectomy, a single. I opted to have a bilateral double mastectomy because I was poking around on my right side and I did feel things that were questionable. And even though they told me that they were not cancer, I said, I don't care. I don't want to have to worry about it and just went ahead with the bilateral mastectomy at that point. Yeah. I've heard other women doing the same thing. It's like, well, if you're just taking one, just let's. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I did that. I mean, it was just such a blur. I mean, I documented everything. I feel like I probably should have gone back and looked at all that before we talked today because it was such a blur, but you just move forward and you're like, okay, just get it out of my body. Right. So I made that decision to have a bilateral mastectomy. We had not told my kids, by the way, we didn't tell my kids until I knew what my treatment plan was going to be because we didn't know right away that I was going to need to have chemotherapy. We didn't know that until after my mastectomy. So my mastectomy wasn't until October of 2020. So that was a two-month time. That blows my mind. Could you even function during those two months? Could you sleep? No, it was a challenging time for sure. As if the pandemic wasn't enough it felt like the twilight zone, right? I mean, that's what I would compare the pandemic and what we were dealing with to. People were afraid to go to the grocery store, right? So we were at home a lot. I probably imbibed in too much alcohol during that time (laughs) as a coping mechanism because I'm like, I don't know what's happening, right? Like this is so bizarre. I don't think anyone could blame you for drinking wine. Yeah. As you're going through this process, we were all drinking wine during COVID. But now you've got this on top of it. One thing that we often don't talk about, though, is the impact on the family, especially the children. Yeah. How did they fare through all this? It was really hard to tell them. And this was something that I felt I had to be strong for for them. So I tried to get as much of my emotions out as possible in private or with my husband or with my girlfriends. So that when I talked to my kids about it, I wasn't breaking down and crying because they were feeding off of my energy and they needed to know I was going to be okay. And I truly felt I was going to be okay, but it was scary. I mean, the word cancer is scary. And even prior to my diagnosis, I was scared of that word. Like I just hated to even say it. I mean, you whisper it, you know, nobody wants to have cancer. So anyway, we told my kids and they were, of course, at first emotional, but feeding off of my energy and like, mom, you know, you're the strongest person I know you're going to get through this. And I'm like, we're going to get through this. When we found out I was going to have chemo and losing my hair, I think that was hard on them because I looked like a sick person. And, you know, I think you can look at it both ways for people who don't have to have chemo, who have cancer for them, they don't look sick. So they don't maybe get the attention from people who are trying to reach out and care for them that they should be getting because they're still going through cancer. 
somebody who has to have chemo, they look like a cancer patient. So it can go both ways. I don't wish cancer on anyone, whether you have to go through chemo or not. It's just not a fun experience, but kids are doing okay. We all got through it as a family. I think that what we're seeing now is the after effects, not just from the pandemic, but just from them having to see their mom go through that. Right. I want to talk a little bit about the chemo, because when you say you looked sick, you look like you were going through chemo. Mm -hmm. What was your body feeling during that time? Can you explain that a little bit? It was like being in a brain fog. I felt it through my whole body. So my first two months of treatment, I was going in every two weeks, but it was the red devil. It was the adriamycin chemo specific to my type of breast cancer. It was the most aggressive treatment they can give. It's red. It goes into your body. It's red. And you are terrified because you think, is this going to burn as it's going in my body? You feel like you're going to feel it and you don't. So you don't feel it the day that you get your treatment though. It comes on two days after your treatment. I continued to work out throughout my treatments. I planned my workouts around the days that I knew I was going to feel good. And then the days that I knew I wasn't going to feel well, I slept a lot. But you feel it. Like the taste in your mouth is more metallic. I was getting mouth sores. Your brain is in a fog. Walking up and down the steps, I was anemic. It's like you have to succumb to the treatment. And it was hard because I was a very active, healthy person who worked out six days a week. And then I had to all of a sudden be a cancer patient. It's hard to explain unless you go through it. It's just hard to tell people what it's really like. Right. I had a lot of help. I did during that time. You know, we all whine if we have the flu and we're not quite feeling ourselves, but to feel that way all the time would just wear you out. How long was the treatment? I started chemo in November of 2020 and finished in April of 2021. The first two months were every other week. I had four treatments over eight weeks, and that was the red devil, adriamycin. And then I switched over to a different type of chemo, which was Taxol. I did that for 12 weeks, and that was weekly. I was going into the doctor at least three times a week. Those treatments would take two to three hours. So I was making friends with the nurses and they became my new work family. I would call them my coworkers. They were on my team, right? Because I wasn't working. That was my job right then. I went from looking for a job to having a new job, which I never anticipated, which was fighting cancer, <laughs> right? But then going in for fluids, like I'd schedule Fridays. That was the day I would go in and get fluids just to help me feel better for the weekend, you know, just to be able to be with my family and at least try to feel as good as I could throughout that time. Did you go to the doctor's office to get the fluids or did you go somewhere else? Yes. Well, I went to the same where I would get the chemo, the same office setting. Okay. Did you network with other women with cancer? I did quite a bit. And that was one of the first things I did was I started reaching out to people or people who had cancer before me would reach out to me when they heard I had cancer. And then gradually over time, I just started connecting with women just by happenstance that I heard had gone through the same journey that I was going through. It's the club that no one wants to be part of, but once you're in it and you meet the other women who've walked the same path, you just feel empowered and seen. We got this. These are normal women. And now I don't look like a cancer patient, right? So I'm walking around and I'm thinking, these people have no idea Yeah, what I just went through, right? I mean, they have no idea. It's a weird out-of-body experience 
it's hard to even put into words. I think I'm still processing. Yeah, a long time probably. And speaking of which, so long-term treatment protocols and follow-ups, what does that look like now? Now I have to take this anti-hormonal drug. It's called anastrozole. And there are a lot of side effects that come with that. I have to take it for 10 years. One of the major side effects is bone pain. A lot of women that I know who've been down this journey haven't been able to tolerate it because it makes you feel like you're 80 years old walking around with my knees and my hips and my elbows and my, I mean, all of my joints hurt. I've found that by staying active and continuing to exercise, it definitely helps. The normal aches and pains that we have as we age, right? My bones have aged probably 20 years in the last year. I'm looking at osteopenia right now. I had a bone density test a year ago. I never would have anticipated and I had no idea about until I was on this journey So I have to be careful, right? Like I love to be active, but now I could break a bone pretty easily, which is a weird thing because I don't look like I'm fragile. No. (laughs) Our listeners can't see you right now, but Amy is absolutely stunning and she's in great physical shape. So there is a lot of stuff going on on the inside. And Dr. Somi Javade, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, OBGYN treats hormones and menopause. People don't realize that estrogen is bone protective. Right. It protects your joints. When you're suppressing your hormones, like what you're doing right now, it can really have an impact on your skeleton. Mm-hmm. Something that we don't consider because it's one of those things we don't see, but super important. When we met for coffee, we talked about your hair. Mm-hmm and the process you've gone through, I would love for you to share that. I have to say that I had to bring humor into this whole thing because you have to. That's how I deal with things. We joked in the beginning, knowing that I was going to lose my hair, that my husband was probably relieved because I didn't have to spend so much money getting my hair done and all the products that I was buying. I mean, we were going to save a ton of money, right? (laughs) I put a lot of money into my hair and now I am again. And it's like, oh my gosh, the highlights, everything, right? So we had to make a joke about it. But when I actually lost my hair, it was hard. It's hard to look at yourself. Nobody really wants to see what they look like bald. I mean, no woman does anyway. The positive side was that I actually got to see what my scalp looked like. Like who gets to see what your scalp looks like with no hair? Like, you know, the markings, the bumps, you know, all of that. So it was kind of interesting. I thought I would be a wig person. I bought a bunch of wigs. I couldn't wear them. They were uncomfortable. They were itchy. They were hot. They didn't look right on me. So I became more of a scarf person through my journey. I did walk around my house without it a lot, which my kids were okay with, but they would not have been okay if I walked around in public. Okay. That was going to be my next question. How did your kids deal with? So because I did home workouts during that time, I wasn't going to a gym. So I was doing my home workouts and I would have a ball head and like, I know it was weird for them. I mean, it was weird for me, but you just do it. I mean, I just did it. You don't think about it. You just get through it and you know that you're going to get on the other side. And then you pray that your hair is going to come back because there is a percentage of women who go through chemo and their hair doesn't grow back. I was terrified that I was going to be one of those. And we didn't say this earlier in the call, but my situation and how I was diagnosed, it was not caught on the mammogram. I was one of five. So 20% of women 
get their mammograms regularly, but their breast cancer is missed. And you don't hear about the one in five. You hear about the four out of five that do get detected with mammograms, which is a very high percentage, and that's great. But the 20% of us who don't get detected and it gets missed, that needs to be talked more about. So I think I need to do something with that. But then because I was in that small percentage of that, I thought I'm probably going to be in the percentage that doesn't get my hair back. <laughs> so Oh, God. I was trying to like, just what would I do? That would just be awful. We just, as women, we need our hair. Right. But another thing, a positive with not having hair was that it took me 10 minutes to get ready. Right. I showered, I brushed my teeth, I put on my makeup and I was ready to go. So that was a nice thing. It didn't matter if it was rainy or humid outside. I just had to put my scarf on and I was ready to go. Yeah. So it was a time savings. But when it started to grow back, this is the misnomer you were telling me Uh, that when your hair does grow back, it doesn't just grow back. It kind of grows back in weird spurts. It does. It grows back patchy and it grows back when you see older men who are balding on the top. The bottom part comes in first and it grows the fastest and you look like an old man, basically. I finished chemo in April of 2021 and still 4th of July weekend, I didn't have enough hair to be able to go without a scarf. I mean, it was very patchy. The top was still bald and it was just, you know, I looked like an old man. So I was still wearing hats. I think the perception is you stop chemo and your hair just starts to grow back. And that's not really how it happens. It's kind of like a newborn baby. Sure. You know how their hair comes in. Because all of those hair follicles are killed off. So they have to like regenerate. Right. I did really like not having to shave my legs. That was nice. (laughs) See, I'm not laughing, but I love how you do bring the positive into this and that you can look at things through a lens of some humor because I believe that has helped you get to where you are today. Sharing your story is going to help so many people. Because number one, with the whole diagnosis thing, I do believe that you can save some lives by just making that awareness Mm -hmm. out there. Aside from some of the obvious stuff, how are you feeling now? I feel more like myself now, which is good. I look in the mirror, my hair is starting to come back in, look more like a cute hairstyle. But there's always reminders. I still have my port. Um, I have to keep that in. Oh, you do. So there's a port on my right side, and there's a tube that goes right into my jugular vein. And that has to stay in for another year. That's what they recommend. Some women get it taken out right away, but I'm more of a rule follower. I don't want to tempt fate because if the cancer does come back, it would be another surgery that I'd have to get to put it back in. So thankfully, I'm still cancer free. I go in every three months to have blood work done. And the blood work looks for markers They have markers that they look for that would show if there was cancer back anywhere in my body, then we would go from there. So that's um, anxiety a little bit. You you feel anxiety when you go in every three months and you're thinking, oh my gosh, am I still cancer free? Right. And it's always going to be in the back of my head, but yet at the same time, I'm alive today and I feel good. I'm back to my workouts. I'm feeling like I'm getting my strength back and So I just had my year anniversary of when chemo stopped. It takes about that long for your body to get rid of all of that and to start feeling like you're normal again. I think too, for you, 
starting this new job has been like yeah, a rebirth for you as well. Yeah. Got your confidence back. I think in many ways, I did see myself as a warrior when I started this journey. That's kind of how I envisioned myself fighting this battle. And my kids also were in that with me. Like, this is what we do. We're warriors. You know, we're going to get through this. But starting this job, it was totally different industry, but it gave me a new sense of self and sense of like what my purpose is. That's a good feeling. And I think it's a big part of moving on from this and moving forward and not dwelling on it and making that be the focus because you have to live your life. Absolutely. It is part of the healing process. If you could offer advice to any of the women listening today, what would that be? Do your self-exams for sure. Pay attention to your body. If you notice anything off or different and you know your body better than anybody, then you need to get it checked out. Early detection is key for everything. And don't be afraid of the diagnosis because you'd rather find out earlier than later. Just to be in tune to your body, you know? Yeah. If it feels funny. Get it checked out. Get it checked out. All right. If you could give your 40-year-old self some advice, what would that be? Don't sweat the small stuff, right? Because in the end, that's all it is. It's silly, trivial things that we get so entangled with in life, in our jobs. Really, in the end, I think if we are true to ourselves and doing what we know to be the right thing, then it's all going to work out. Great words. Wonderful. Amy, thank you. Thank you. This was really great. Thank you so much for your bravery to tell your story today. I appreciate it. And I know all our listeners appreciate it as well. Yep. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Amy. Follow Asking for a Friend on social media outlets and provide a review and share this show wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and sharing help us grow. 